All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the third hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors uh, for this program uh, and making this third hour financially viable. They are Gold Bullion Development. Crocodile Gold, North Atlantic Resources, Athabasca Uranium, Golden Minerals, and Western Pacific, uh, and also Focus Metals. Well, I'm really glad to have my partner, uh, one of my two partners, Roger Wiegand, with me today. Chen Lin uh, is not with us today, but Roger is, and we have a few minutes to talk to Roger. Uh, Roger, I understand that one of the things you're focused on right now has to do with uh, with China and inflation going on in China. Would you care to talk about that for a minute? Well, the interesting thing about it, I mean, we heard uh, various rumors before. The one, the one concrete uh, fact that we did see last year was uh, China came out with a, their version of the TARP program uh, the first quarter of last year because they saw things slowing down a little bit within their country. And what they did was they came out with five or six hundred billion dollars, and they pushed it all out within 90 days, which we knew would be inflationary. Sure enough, uh, their economy uh, started to pick up again. But one of the first signals that inflation was was rampant was the real estate market in Hong Kong, which is enormous and very expensive, uh, shot up in in price 90 percent in the first 90 days. And if that isn't a bubble, I don't know what is. So that one really got our attention. And then things move forward on from there. And unfortunately, China's got some major problems with drought in the northern one-third of the country where they do grow a lot of their crops. Uh, they're going to lose a good portion of the wheat crop there this year. And consequently, with so many mouths to feed uh, and, and having weather problems elsewhere within the world, uh, China's got some real problems with food inflation. Now, our point today was that we got a report from Bloomberg that we saw that their consumer prices for China in January went up five point, or excuse me, four point nine percent from one year earlier. And prior to that, last December, just a couple of months ago, uh, that inflationary consumer price gain was four point six percent. That is from the China Statistics Bureau on their website, as reported by Bloomberg. Uh, then they said uh, food prices were, were appearing to climb 10.3%, but 
if you extrapolate those numbers and you push them forward for one year, you're looking at an inflationary situation in food for China that exceeds 50%. Now, one of the things that uh, came to mind immediately when I saw that was that uh, our, our friend John Williams at Shadow Stats, his measure of hyperinflation is when inflation does exceed 50%. So while China may not be in hyperinflation yet for the entire economy, they certainly are, it appears, uh, in the food area. Uh, the, the food prices are going up all over the world. And in another report today, the World Bank and the IMF issued another statement in Bloomberg and they said because of the food prices rising so quickly, they're pushing a lot of poor people into poverty. Uh, they did say that in, in, uh, since June, uh, the extreme poverty in developing countries pushed 44 million people into a situation where they're struggling to, to be fed. Uh, the World Bank said their food price index jumped 15% between October and January, uh, mostly led by wheat costs. But that gauge is still 3% below the 2008 peak. Uh, but at that particular point, uh, that's when they had more than a dozen countries that had food riots. When, when the price got as, exceeded the, where we are today by 3% in the year 2008. So these food prices, Jay, are rising to very dangerous levels, and they're threatening tens of millions of poor people around the world uh, the people in the United States, I think, take food for granted because I did see a number a month or two ago that said the average American middle class will spend about 13% of their after-tax income for food. Uh, in, in, in the poor countries, uh, many of them have to spend more than half of their income for food, and if it keeps going the way it is, uh, those, that percentage is going to get even worse. So um, while they're not saying that food prices were the primary cause of all this unrest in Africa and the Middle East. They're saying that this certainly is an aggravating factor. Now, one of the major staples in grains that uh, feeds basically half the world is rice. And the rice prices have just shot up like a rocket. And, and the, the lid is still not uh, on rice. The prices can, in fact, go further. But in the United States, the rice growers are shifting their product from rice to soybeans and corn because, in fact, those, those uh, harvests will actually make them even more profit. So the squeeze is on food everywhere, and we are seeing a lot of inflation coming out of Asia. The next thing that happened in China today was they did make an announcement today from the uh, central authority in, in China that they were going to put out a new policy to, to show the way they measure inflation. That, to me, of course, was a red flag indicating that it's getting out of control and somehow they've got to put the lid on it publicly. So this mm -hmm. is getting rather interesting. Roger, I think uh, there's no doubt about it, but, you know, the, the idea, though, that somehow Bernanke's policies are feeding this inflation uh, is something, of course, that nobody in the U.S., at least among the, the ruling elite, want to consider. But, you know, I looked at my inflation deflation watch uh, at the end of last week, Roger, and what I noticed was uh, in that inflation deflation watch, I have, I have stocks like the S&P 500. I have the uh, Walmart, which is a, a measure or a proxy for the consumer sector. 
Um, you know, I have Toyota, which is a, a proxy for the auto sector. Uh, and what I noticed is that those, uh, well, I have the housing stocks too, which are down almost 50%, the home builders. Uh, real estate investment trusts up slightly, 14%. Uh, and I'm talking about since I started this back in January of 2000, uh, 2005. Uh, so during that time, S&Ps are up 16%. Walmart's up 17%. Housing stocks are down 50%. Toyota is up 14%. Real estate investment trusts up 14%. But now here's where is really up. Indian stocks up 85%. Chinese stocks up 140%. Uh, oil up uh, 44%. Copper up 206%. So what we're seeing, uh, the Rogers Raw Material Fund up 41%. So what we're seeing is commodity inflation leading, uh, you know, some of these stocks that would reflect a stronger economy. And what that seems to be telling me, Roger, and let me, I'd like to ask you what your thoughts are, that what we're seeing in these rising prices is more of an inflationary phenomenon than it is uh, a, a demand pull uh, phenomenon. In other words, people are speculating if you if you had a growing economy, the demand would come, and you would start to see prices uh, of some of these other stocks rising nicely, uh, because they would be reflecting earnings and growth in the economy. But what you're not seeing, you're seeing very modest rise in the equity markets, except, uh, but but you're seeing a very profound increase uh, in the commodity prices. Do you think this might be indicative of? Uh, price inflation and Mr. Bernanke's policies. In other words, I guess the long, the short question is, is Bernanke responsible for food riots in, in Egypt and elsewhere? Well, he is partially responsible, but of course the weather is responsible as well uh, in a kind of a piling on problem, just like they had in the Depression in the 1930s. You know, they had a commodity run up in the late 20s and then the stock market crashed and then commodities actually did go down because everything... Uh, was was of much less value that, uh, as far as goods and services, and the uh, the uh, uh, the commodities went down, but but the dollar actually went up. Now we're seeing the reverse. We're seeing the dollar go down, which actually makes commodities more expensive. Yeah. Well, it's uh, one other topic before we go to our uh, next guest. I want to ask you, uh, Ireland, this is a very important election coming up. Would you like to just pass uh, your thoughts on to our listeners on that, yes, on that issue? I Ireland, uh, uh, the, a fellow by the name of Cowan, who was their prime minister or prime minister of finance, did make a deal with the European banks for a bailout, and that bailout amounted to 85 billion euros or 115 billion in American dollars. This package was supposed to come from the European Central Bank and the IMF, and it, the people in Ireland simply can't pay. Uh, their system can't swallow a responsibility like that. Not only that, the price on this loan was something like 5% when everybody else was getting like 2 or 3%. So with the new government change coming up and a new election coming in Ireland, on next Friday, on the 25th of February, it's going to be very interesting because... The opposing party now, it appears, has more power and, and would probably be elected. The big question then becomes, are the Irish people going to stand by and swallow all this damage, which was created by European bankers in derivatives, and it really had nothing to do with, with their credit and what they did internally within the country. It was mm -hmm. just more banker shenanigans, just like New York. 
So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens here. Iceland just said they're not going to pay, and that's the thing that Europe fears. If the Irish people have a referendum after this election and they say they refuse to pay, I think then you're going to see rolling problems through uh, several countries uh, throughout uh, Euroland. So Euroland and the euro itself could be threatened, you think? Absolutely, and they even said so uh, in some things that I was reading earlier today. Uh, Their statement was both parties want to be allowed to impose losses on senior bondholders, that's the banks, not covered by a government guarantee. But the European Central Bank is opposed to such a move, get this, for fear of contagion. Hmm. That's what well, I, I would of. think that that would certainly, uh, not that we want to have uh, rough times, difficult times, Roger, but I would think if that were to happen, if the euro were to, were to sort of be unwound uh, and fall apart or collapse, that that would be extremely bullish for the precious metals. Any thoughts on that? And then yeah, we have to go no, to our next no, guest. There's no question about it, and the Europeans are... Are, are most Europeans are believing this? I think like 60 or 70 percent on a poll that was taken in in Europe, they said that they do not trust the euro, and that's one of the reasons why there's been so much stability and growth on the Swiss franc because that's where the capital is going. Well, thank you, Roger. Unfortunately, we are out of time, or we're going to have to go to a commercial break now. And when we come back, we're going to have Frank Callahan. Uh, He's the president of Barkerville Gold Mines. That's a new gold mining company in British Columbia. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Mr. Callahan. Thanks, Jay. Thank you, Raj. You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by. Briggis Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Briggis has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Briggis is also advancing its Gold Fields Project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Briggis as your gold investment choice. Briggis is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals, giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk. Rare earth elements are used in many industries, from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green-tech. Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A-Capital.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human. 
Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to jtaylor at miningstocks.com. That's the letter J, Taylor at miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Frank Callahan. He's the president and CEO of Barkerville Gold Mines. Barkerville trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange. We're probably not on the Venture Exchange now. Under the Toronto Exchange, any under BGM is a symbol. Over-the-counter, it also trades in the U.S. I don't have that symbol in front of me right now, but I know you can buy it over-the-counter. I have done so in my IRA account. Uh, there's 64.4 million shares outstanding. Last I checked, about $1.47, giving it a market cap of still less than $100 million, which I think is uh, is pretty remarkable given the progress that this company is making. Well, welcome, Frank, uh, back again to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thanks very much, Jay. Good to be back here again. Good to have you on. Now, uh, a quick review of what your uh, your gold production reviews. Uh, could you give us, could you give our listeners perhaps, those that are not familiar with your story. Uh, a quick, uh, just a review or, or tell them what you're expecting to produce, how many ounces of gold this year, and if perhaps uh, give us an idea of what your cash cost might be this year, and then if you can go down the road a little further. Sure. Okay. We just, well, we just released some financial news uh, in the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to suggest that uh, we're on track for 50,000 ounces a year. Cash cost in the last quarter that we reported in the quarter was about $600 an ounce uh, for mm-hmm. the actual production portion of it itself. Um, that was our first quarter of production. It wasn't a complete quarter. Um, we actually did the first pour on September the 15th, and we actually sent out the first order, I'm going to suggest, was in the uh, first or second week of uh, November. Um, but uh, no, things are running really well. You know, oddly enough, last Friday we shipped out another 45 kilos, and things are going. Can't complain. It's uh, it's really nice to you know finally be a producer. It's taken us 17 years to get here, and uh, we're projecting that uh, you know we're going to get our cost down. 500 is really our target, and uh, but our first month to our first quarter, pardon me, to be bringing in $600 an ounce. And, but the significant part that we actually put out news is that for the first gold, we actually received $1,423 an ounce. I believe is what our uh, we sort of brought in on it. So that's that was very very exciting. Well, congratulations on that. Yeah, $600. Sort of sounds like a high cost, and and it was a few years ago when you could only get, you know, you couldn't get that for an ounce of gold. Uh, but now, uh, you know, six hundred dollar cost at fourteen hundred dollars when you can get thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars isn't bad. It, the margin is pretty respectable. Um, you, how many? Uh, you, you have an enormous exploration potential there. Uh, talk to our listeners a little bit about that, if you would, Frank. Sure. Well, the belt itself, uh, where we're, uh, we're actually opening up the second mine, and we're hoping to hear something in the next few days from government uh, on uh, starting up the Bonanza Ledge portion, which is an area that we sort of discovered ourselves outside the town of Wells and the town of Barkerville, the company's namesake. Um, we just got permitted to uh, drill some 900 drill holes uh, in that area. Uh, it's over a three-year period. We expect to spend in the neighborhood of about $10 million a year on exploration to define more ounces. So the idea is to actually just now just pursue finding more ounces. And we've got a, an area that's about 27 miles long and probably about five miles wide that, that we mm-hmm. own outright. 
And wow. uh, we've made, we've made three. We've we've announced in the last uh, four business days three different discoveries with significant grades and width. I mean, in one area, uh, we reported yesterday um, it was uh, running uh, about ten grams over uh, forty feet or something like that. The uh, then. Uh, uh, just have a look here. 75 feet of, of uh, almost 10 gram material, very very significant. Uh, then we've got another 55 feet of uh, a couple of grams. Uh, just re- some really high grade stuff. And some of the stuff was running almost eight ounces to the ton. Mm. So um, these are areas that we're now going to go. We found them up on surface. And we found some with drilling, and then more significant on Cow Mountain, one of the area which is about two miles away from where we're going to be mining. Uh, we come up with a a whole different gold and a different uh, rock formation and, and uh, some really good values to it, too, running about half an ounce to the ton and over good widths. So there's lots of potential. The whole story now is focused on exploration. Find more ounces. Oh, so how many ounces? Uh, you, you have a resource and a res- you have reserves now, Frank? We do, but, but just as a global number, we're, we've got about 850,000 ounces, just light of 850,000, that's 43101 compliant. But we haven't done a resource calculation since 2006 uh, because we were in the oh. permitting process to um, uh, get the mine up and running. So all of the drilling that's been done from 2006 to present, which is hundreds of holes, is going to be put into the model, and I suggest in the next few months we'll actually have a new number out and that'll um, I'm expecting the numbers to increase significantly mm. um, five years well, five years really, of drilling really... that will add in all in together into a, into a new number yeah I, I guess that could be quite exciting and now now that you're up and running have some cash flow uh, presumably you're going to be able to finance things internally and you won't need to go back to the markets and keep issuing shares is that, that is that, that like that, that's the plan you know we think that we grow organically now um, and, uh, you know, we at $600 an ounce cash cost, and, you know, we're trying to get it lower, but uh, when you're making somewhere in the neighborhood of $800 an ounce uh, gold. Um, and, you know, we sent out a bunch that went out last Friday, some, as I was saying, some 45 kilos went out the door. Um, we can leave that with Johnson and Matthew and before we decide to sell it. So it just sort of sits there in, in the bank, and then we tell them what day we want to sell it. And, and we're not in any need for any cash right now, so it'll just sort of sit there after they refine it. Hmm. Interesting. So you're actually holding the metal itself and not and not selling it immediately necessarily. You're, uh, I, I guess, if your if your sense is that the gold price is a little too low, you'll you'll hold on to it, look for a slightly higher price. Is that sure. it? Sure. That, yeah. That's that's exactly it. And and the gold sort of it looks like it, it needed to do itself a little correction, and it's done that. I believe personally, and and uh, you know, I'm not a financial wizard by any means, but it's it wants to go a little bit higher, and and. Uh, I think it's going to go higher, and, and until we actually need the money, we'll just leave the uh, gold and we'll sell it when we need to. We haven't forward sold any gold either, so we're under no pressure whatsoever to, to sell anything. Frank, how many, uh, how many mines do you have now? How many pl- uh, deposits do you have that you can draw on to, to uh, produce from at the moment? So we've got one, we're at the QR mining mill. It's a 900-ton-a-day facility capable of doing 70,000 ounces at that location. Um, we are, we are, we are going to continue working there. We're there underground, but the next deposit, which is called Bonanza Ledge, we expect it, and it's open pit. And we got permitted about three weeks ago to actually start the road construction through, for which they're going 24 hours a day on doing the the haul road from the pit that'll go to uh, to the QR mill. 
Um, that's the second deposit. The third deposit on Cow Mountain, you know, it used to be a million ounces. It's now sitting at somewhere in the neighborhood of about uh, 650,000 ounces. We are going to go and re-drill that. Uh, some of the holes that were put in in the early 80s are not deemed compliant holes, so we've got to go twin those, and then at the same time we're drilling deeper on it. So that'll be the third. So uh, we've gone and bought, purchased a, a second mill, and it's a 1,400-ton-a-day mill that was built by Kaminko. We're going to increase that to 2,000 tons and move that to the town of Wells and have that, our target is by the end of 2012, have that up and running. So the company is capable at that point of, of producing in excess of 100,000 ounces a year. So that's, wow. that's the direction that we're going in right now. And we're able to finance the whole thing internally. We don't have to go oh, outside. That's that's, that's, that's fantastic. You'll be able to, to move the mill and do all that stuff without having to go back to the capital markets, you, you, you assume, huh? That, that's correct. That is correct. We don't need oh. – we're, 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 unless, unless somebody comes along and says, you know, would you like to go buy this? And if it was the sweetheart deal and we had to go issue a few shares or something to make that happen, um, that would be it. But otherwise, the idea is to – we can grow organically. Okay, well, you know, uh, you did, of course, uh, not surprisingly, report a, an accounting loss of uh, $21.6 million in the third quarter. Uh, what is your fiscal year end, uh, Frank? Is it February 28th? Uh, February 28th. So that's that, so okay. that, the, the loss is, is sort of built in, in in what it costs to go and get that project sure. up and running that we've, we've gone sure. through. The value of that facility that we have, if you had to go replace it today, it would take you 10 years to permit it, and it would probably cost you in the neighborhood of about $75 million. So, you know, that's behind us now. That's what it costs to get the project up and running, but uh, and the, we've got the cost per ounce down, and the mill is in mint condition. It's, it's running fantastic, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, well, it's a fabulous story, Frank. Do you think you, uh, you'd be able to show accounting profit this year, possibly? Um, this year, no. Well, the way the cash you know what, yes, but you know the way the the way the company's fiscal year end. I'm going to suggest at the end of February 28th, the answer is no to that. Um, but in uh -huh. the ensuing year, so going March the first, 2011, till the end of February uh, uh, 2012, the answer is yes, significant. Oh, but, and, 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 so, and during the course of the calendar year that we're in, the answer is also yes. But uh, what it will okay. show on the company's All financial right. statement at the end of February, no. Okay, fair enough. Well, that's, that's really something to look forward to, and I would suggest to our listeners, uh, if they look at comparable companies, uh, companies that are, say, uh, producing 50 to 1,000 ounces, 100,000 ounces, I say especially 100,000 ounces, uh, if you look at companies that are producing 100,000, Frank's not there with Barkerville yet, but those are the goals, and he's doing well in, in getting to that number. If he gets there, we're looking, uh, I, I would think, at a market cap substantially above the uh, $95 million market cap that Barkerville has right now. And more importantly, from, those, from the perspective of those that own the stock now, if they can get there without issuing a lot of new shares, that's very, very important. Frank, I want to thank you again for coming on, talking to us, and updating our listeners on your company. Very exciting prospect, I must say, and in British Columbia, certainly one of the more stable places to operate. So thank you very much, Frank. Thank you very uh, much, Jay. Thank you all very, very much. Talk to you again sometime soon. Folks, don't go away. We're going to have uh, Doug Casey is going to be with us uh, at the after we come back from the commercial break. Don't go away.
America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by. Soledin Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year highlighting a very positive and economical project and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.soledin.com to learn more. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to Taylor at miningstocks.com. That's the letter J, Taylor, at miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Doug Casey. Uh, I remember Doug, looking up to Doug uh, many, many years ago, both figuratively and literally, because Doug is a lot taller than I, but remember seeing him on uh, national television uh, uh, about the time he was promoting his book, it was a bestseller, uh, the New York Times bestseller list, and 
And uh, the strangest thing was, uh, Doug was talking about gold, and, and uh, you know, it was sort of music to my ears because I was sort of a gold bug back at a time when the term hadn't even been, even before Mr. Dines, uh, the original gold bug, I think, I was a gold bug. Uh, and so I remember seeing Doug on um, Good Morning America or one of those shows many, a couple of, several decades ago. And, and, and so I've always sort of looked up to Doug, and it's just a real pleasure having you on again, Doug on Turning Thanks, Hard Times to Good Times. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here again. Well, really good. And you're, you're down there in Argentina now. Uh, we, we were talking uh, to John Robino a little while ago about this whole uh, inflation and deflation issue. John Robino is a colleague of James Turk. He's uh, co-authored a book called uh, The Coming Collapse of the Dollar and How to Profit from It. Uh, it sounds like uh, a topic that you would be very well uh, capable of, of talking about, and I know you are, and you talk about it all the time. We have a, 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 a listener to this show has, call, has uh, written to us, and he said, you know, I believe in the Minsky economic model and believe we will have a currency crisis within the next few years, although it would appear that the euro might be the first currency to fail. I'm not all that sure. He says, assuming the U.S. would institute currency controls, probably only allowing a maximum of $10,000 per person per year to leave the country, where, in which countries, would you hold your money and in what specific form? So I, uh, let me pass that question on to you, Doug. And, and for those that might not be familiar with a Minsky moment, it's defined uh, in Wikipedia as a moment in, when, uh, in which investors who have borrowed too much are forced to sell good assets to pay back their loans. In other words, you sell what you're able to sell, not necessarily what you want to sell. Doug, do you think that's a possibility? Yes, I do think it's a possibility because uh, that is one of the problems with all the debt that we have in the world today. Uh, we're heading towards one of two situations. One is a catastrophic deflation, and the other is an even more catastrophic hyperinflation of the currency. And you can actually have both at the same time, odd as that sounds, in different areas of the economy. Mm-hmm. But uh, let, me, let me answer that by saying this. It's that... Uh, we're really, really going into a coming out the other side of the hurricane at this point. And uh, most people are going to lose most of what they have because most people have most of what they have in the national currency of some country. And all of these governments with their central banks are creating trillions of these currency units. Now, Which one should you be in? Well, I I don't like the euro, because if the U.S. dollar is an IOU nothing on the part of a bankrupt government, the euro is a who owes you nothing on the part of a bunch of bankrupt governments. Mm -hmm. All these these currencies eventually are going to reach their intrinsic value, which is not very high. Uh, I really suggest that uh, you build a significant position in gold and silver, the metals. And I hate to say that, Jay, because... They're no longer cheap today, but they're mm-hmm. still the best place to be, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Well, as Richard Russell points out all the time, you, you don't necessarily buy those metals to make money. Although you could have you could have gained wealth if you were, uh, you know, if you were early in this game, no doubt about it. And and a lot of us have done well, but uh, you you buy it because it's real money. It it will it will preserve your wealth as much as anything, right? It's not going to dry up and blow away, which is Mm -hmm. what's going to happen to the dollar in the future. So, Mm -hmm. absolutely right. And I I agree with uh, 
with Jim Turk. Uh, Turk, as you know, is of the opinion that gold is headed for 8,000 per ounce in, in the next few years. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's out of the question at all. Mm-hmm. Well, when you think about it, uh, they're creating endless amounts of currency. And I like to Ian McAvity's, uh, I like to quote him, uh, something he wrote in his newsletter, a barrel of oil is a barrel of oil, an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. What is the dollar? So we're used to measuring everything in the dollar, which is really a, a very silly unit of measure, isn't it? And uh, we might do better to start saying, what will an ounce of gold buy? And look at it in those terms. That is exactly the way I see things. That's, mm-hmm. that's quite correct. And, but that is a, an extreme minority view uh, among, the average, uh, among Americans. I, your listeners will hopefully be uh, among those that will be protected from this hurricane. All right, we want to talk about protection of a hurricane. Uh, this hurricane, we talked to John Robino earlier. We tied the, a lot of the discontent in Egypt and elsewhere to rising food costs that we think is you know, de- definitely attached to Mr. Bernanke's easy money policies around the world, the chaos that is being created everywhere. Uh, it's hard for us to imagine that happening in America, where we've, uh, I've lived here in New York now for a number of decades. Uh, but, you know, it's not out of the question. Uh, Doug, you uh, have given a lot of thought to geographical diversification. You have uh, a New Zealand, I believe. You live in, uh, you have a place in Argentina, in the U.S. and elsewhere. But you uh, talk to us a little bit about Argentina, and you talked to us about Argentina the last time we talked to you, but tell us uh, again, if you would, why you think Argentina might be one of the better bets among uh, diverse places that you might look to put your money well, Jay, uh, as you know, I've, I've been to 175 countries, most of them numerous times, and I've lived in 12 countries. And Argentina seems like a strange choice to a lot of people because they all heard about Juan Perón, they watched the movie Evita, they know that this country uh, serially destroys its currency, uh, and it's got a goofy government. Okay, that's all true. But the reason I selected Argentina out of all these countries that I've been to is because it has a lot of advantages. Uh, Culturally, it's extremely civilized. It's much more European than Europe. Mm -hmm. But unlike Europe, it doesn't have the demographic problems. It doesn't have the ethnic problems. Uh, It uh, is a huge, wide-open country where most of the population is centered in the capital of Buenos Aires, and the rest of it you can, is very beautiful, and you can drive for hours at high rates of speed without even seeing another car. Uh, at the same time, it's technologically as advanced with the Internet and so forth uh, as you might wish, and, and the cost of living is quite low. So these things all add up to me. Well, Doug, I'm very excited about an event that you have uh, coming up in a little town called Cafeate. Uh, correct me if I'm spelling, if I'm mispronouncing, mis- I'm not pronouncing it correctly. But uh, Cafeate well, is, you, is you a town. You don't sound like and, a Porteño, Jay, but that's close enough. Say, say again. Uh, you don't sound like a Porteño, which is what you call a resident of Buenos Aires. <laughs> uh, but it's close enough. Okay. All right. So it's it's a town I understand of about ten thousand people, but you are involved with some other people in in uh, a development there, and I'm really looking forward to 
to coming down there in a couple of weeks uh, uh, to uh, to learn more about what you're doing down there. Could you talk to our listeners a little bit about what you are doing and you and your friends are, are building down in Argentina? Well, actually, a lot of people may have read Atlas Shrugged, and everybody knows about Galt's Gulch. And for years, I was hoping somebody had put a Galt's Gulch together, and I could have saved myself a lot of time and trouble by moving there. But uh, as it turns out, with so many things, you have to do it yourself if you want it done right. So what we've done is we've put together a, a world-class development. I believe that it's the best development on the planet at any price, anywhere. But it's actually quite inexpensive because Argentina is quite inexpensive. And uh, what we've got is everything from a, a 3,500-square-foot gold-class gymnasium to... Uh, uh, the fantastic library to every athletic facility that you can imagine to uh, uh, 25 miles of hiking, biking, jogging trails, wow. polo fields, an 18-hole golf course. Uh, and, and the town itself, we're right next to them, is just fantastic. It's, it's like Aspen 30 years ago. Hmm. What do you, are there residents there now, Doug, in, in the uh, complex? Yes. Uh, this is a brand new thing, Jay. I mean, uh -huh. from green fields, from a raw idea. We only started this thing and in, 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 in bought the land uh, five years ago. And then we started construction. So five houses have been built. The golf course, all these things have been built. And now there are 30 houses under construction. And uh, we've just passed uh, selling half of the lots to people mm -hmm. from 20 different countries. So it's a very international community, mm -hmm. and uh, it's drawn a fantastic group of people that, uh, although they're very individualistic and independent, tend to uh, kind of have the same values and uh, see the world the same way. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, uh, it's a nice place to hang out. What, uh, what can you tell us about the, the plans that you have for this uh, coming week, uh, or the, the week of the, uh, I guess it's the 22nd through the 27th or something like that of March? Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the program that you have planned there? So uh, maybe some of our listeners might be interested in, in checking it out. Yeah, I would urge anybody that has thought about diversifying their assets and they definitely should. I mean, anybody that has all their assets in one country is just asking for trouble in today's world. So uh, if you've even thought about that, or if you... Uh, this is a perfect opportunity to come down and, and take a look at what we have, and I urge them to do that, because as with all of our events down there, this will be a sellout. Um, there's plenty to do down there. It's everything from, this is a major grape and wine region, so you know, people do things like pick the grapes. Uh, there's a lot of horseback riding that goes on because we've got lots of horses down there, so you want to do that. Uh, uh, lots of sightseeing, everything from astronomy on the sand dunes, because we have that fantastic sand dunes at one edge of the property, uh, watching the stars at night with a professional astronomer that comes down there with us to... Mm. You know, doing yoga, I mean, you know, and, and if you like smoking cigars, that's still legal in Argentina, unlike <laughs> New York. So uh, there's all kinds of things to do, and a good time is had by all, because well, this is a, it's like a, it's like a Napa Valley in California in many ways. 
so, you know, wine and good food is definitely part of the ambiance. And the climate is, is uh, I gather, quite, quite nice, especially this time of the year. Oh, yes, it's fantastic. It's, it's uh, fall here in Argentina right now. Yeah. In, in Cafete, which is in the northwest part of the country, uh, we're at about 5,500 feet in altitude, but not so far from the equator. So it's kind of an eternal springtime kind of climate that's uh, always warm and dry during the day, but cool at night. It's the kind of climate that grapes like, and that's always a nice place to live, any place that grapes like to live. <laughs> Uh, Doug, I think you have, uh, you are going to be speaking. Uh, there'll be some other people that will, uh, some other people that, you know, that are probably worth listening to, uh, that are also going to be talking maybe a little bit about the markets, a little bit about, um, investing. Is that, is that true? Well, oh, that's, yeah, thanks, Jay. I forgot about that. Uh, we're, we're going to put on a, uh, half day also investment seminar, uh, while we're down there where we're going to have some, Really good speakers. Uh, myself, uh, Terry Coxon of Passport Financial is going to talk about a lot of the technical details of getting your money offshore, not just why, but how you should do it and where and what the legalities of this type of thing are. Um, uh, Marin Katus is going to be talking about the energy markets. Uh, no, it's, 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 it's going to be a, a fantastic uh, event. I, I really urge anybody to take advantage of this opportunity because uh, I think the foreign exchange controls are on their way in the United States. And if you don't act now, you might find that it's too late to act. Yeah. You're going to be caught like a lobster in a trap. Yeah. Well, I, I, certainly, uh, I certainly fear that. We talked about it with John Rubino a little earlier, the likelihood of, of capital controls, and we certainly have seen it in my lifetime and yours as well. I can remember in the 70s there was some of that going on. Uh, and it's, so it's not unprecedented at all. In fact, I think what, what has been unprecedented uh, has been up to a certain point at least the sort of relative freedom that we enjoyed in the United States um, you know, until, until I would say beginning in the Roosevelt years, perhaps we started seeing decline in, in the freedoms and the free markets. And it was just a, really moving very, very rapidly towards tyranny, in my, in my view, in the United States. And I, it's a, sort of a heresy to say that, sitting here in New York, I suppose, and benefiting from the financial markets and the economy because we have this great uh, parasitic machinery called the Wall Street, which basically is, uh, feeds off the, the government subsidies and government um, programs, uh, which I, I think these guys are in bed together and they're all sort of taking care of us. So some of us that live here in New York sort of benefit. The Midwest where I'm from, those people have been suffering a long time. It, it's easy for me to see how how things are heading in the wrong direction, Doug, and I think that the wisest thing to do is to think outside of the box and to diversify, not only you know with your investments, but geographically. I think what you're advising people to do is really good advice. I hope that we'll have some of our listeners joining me and you and other people down there. Uh, and uh, I would urge people to go to the website. Tell us again where that is, Doug, so people can can follow up. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I want to make this simple. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Jay, do you remember by any chance what which website we ought to? Yeah, let, to, me, uh, I think I can find some, it, Doug. Uh, travel. Is it, okay. is it lec.com.ar? Oh, I hit the wrong that, button. Hold on just a second. I'll have it in a second here. Uh, 
Uh, travel and lodging, cafe IT. Gosh, why does the weather bug keep coming up on this? I don't understand. Well, you know, I think it's lec.com.ar, but if they just send you an email, then you is. can back to them. Yeah, yeah, they website. can send me an email. That? But, um, yeah, it's, it's strange. I had it bookmarked here. Here it comes. Here it comes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's lae. Uh, yeah, they can send me an email. Uh, definitely send it, and or send an email to questionsfortaylor.com. And by the way, that that uh, leads me to suggest to all of you uh, that if you have questions for Doug or anyone else, to send a que- send uh, an email to questions for the number four Taylor uh, at gmail.com, and uh, and we'll pass on to you the uh, the website. It's uh, it's a little bit difficult for me since my Spanish is non-existent to pronounce this, but uh, it's L A E S T A N C I A D Cafe Ate. Anyway, uh, I think the best advice is to is to uh, send an email. We'll, we'll connect you and or Google. Um, yeah. So uh, very good, Doug. Well, thanks for being with us again, folks. Uh, don't go away. Uh, actually, we're going to have to say go away and come back next week because we are out of time. Unfortunately, uh, and we don't have a guest scheduled for next week, but uh, but please do send us an email to uh, questions the number four Taylor um, at gmail.com, and we will put you on the mailing list, and we will also tell you where you can get in touch with Doug Casey and his uh, and his wonderful program he's got going on down there in Argentina. So I we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, just a reminder that we do have these uh, special offers for uh, one-time only offers for my newsletter, Roger Wiegand's newsletter, Chen Lin's newsletter. Uh, also, uh, just want to thank those who made this show logistically possible, starting with my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, Ruben Columbia, my operations manager, Justin Jackman, my engineer. Thanks to all of you for making this show possible. Thanks to each of you for listening to me, uh, making this show the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. again for listening to turning hard times into good times with jay taylor please join us again next tuesday at 11 a.m pacific time 2 p.m eastern time on the voice america business channel now the thing about time is that time is in